right, everybody, make your way back to your seats. Stay standing if you could. Stay standing if you're able once you return to your chairs for the word of the Lord from Colossians chapter 3. It'll be on the screen. It says this, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts, for as members of one body you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. And this is the end. Let the message about Christ in all its riches fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to him through God the Father. Amen. Grab a seat. Welcome home, everybody. So glad to see you. Can we thank the team for leading us this morning in such a beautiful... Man, it's so beautiful. So beautiful. It's great to see so much red, white, and blue out there today. I don't know what I was thinking. I was... Uh, I don't know what I was thinking. Oh, man. Hey, if you don't know me, my name is David. I'm the, one of your pastors here as well. Just so excited to be sharing from the scriptures today on this very special Independence Day. And, uh, and if you didn't know, it really is an important day for us here as Americans. The 4th of July, the day we celebrate independence that we achieved as a nation. And while it was certainly an interesting 2020, ripe with division and conflict, it is still such a gift to be Americans, and it's such a gift to call the United States home. Amen? I remember... Little, little quick story. I, I remember a number of years ago, I had spent some time in London, and I was there actually for the 4th of July. And the church that I was interning at when I was there, they threw this huge Independence Day party for all the Americans. And I just need you to think about that for a second. I was in England, and the British church threw an Independence Day party for the Americans. Man, things have changed, right? And I, and I, um, I talked to them. I was like, hey, so I don't want to be weird here, but like... You're celebrating our division from you. And I said, why would you ever celebrate this for us? And they said this. They said that they love America. That they love the United States because it is the freest place on earth. It is the freest place on earth. It's a country where its citizens can practice their faith in any form and have a voice in determining the future. And that's something to look up to. This is what they said. And it really is. It's something to look up to. What a gift it is to call it home until we're finally home. You know what I'm saying? And so happy 4th to everyone here. I hope you'll join us tonight for all the festivities. Pastor Manny will come up later and he'll talk us through like what the night's going to look like. It's going to be awesome. Hundreds of people out just celebrating our independence today. And so I hope you come. Uh, but hey, as we begin, just echoing uh, Rebecca's thoughts this morning, let's pray and just thank God refocus our hearts and minds on Jesus and thank God for all he's given us. Let's pray. Jesus, we believe that you're real, that you're good, that you love us and you lead to peace. We ask that you would just be with us in this place, that you'd open our eyes to your presence, God, that you'd soften our hearts to receive your word. 
God, we're so grateful that you have placed us for such a time as this, that you have grown us in this place, in this country. God, that we're so grateful that we have the ability and really the privilege to worship you freely because of the work and the sacrifice of so many. And so, Jesus, we are grateful for this gift. God, help us not squander it. Help us steward our position and our citizenship well. God, that we would be people on your behalf everywhere we go. And so, Jesus, again, we are here for you. It is only you. And it's in your name that we pray. And we said, amen. amen. Fran, I was hoping for like a amen. Come on. Amen. Okay. <laughs> Someone knows how to lead this, right? There we go. There we go. Hooting and hollering. Here we go. All right. So, hey, if you're taking notes today, I'd like to focus. I'd like to focus our time this morning together talking about what it, the priority that God places on being together. The priority that his church people would be a people of fellowship a people of fellowship. And we see it all throughout the scriptures from the Garden of Eden when the first thing that God said wasn't good was that Adam was alone. We see it from the Garden of Eden all the way through the calling of Abraham to the Exodus, to the Promised Land, through the kings and the prophets and the early church. We see it all throughout that God doesn't want us to live scattered, disconnected lives. That God's vision for, his, for the world isn't a bunch of individual friends or followers or subscribers to a gospel social network, right? right? No, the dream is that God is building a home in Jesus' name and he wants to fill it with family. Amen. I'm going to say that one more time. God is building a home in Jesus' name and he wants to fill it with family. A family he calls the church. Amen. The church. It's a people Hebrews 10 says that don't neglect meeting together, but instead choose to be together as one of people of fellowship. Fellowship. But, but what does this look like? Because I, I, I don't know about you, but this word fellowship, it's not one that I really use in my everyday vocabulary. Like when we have people over, I don't sit, you know, sit outside the grill and say, man, I'm just so grateful for our like fellowship of steak today, you know? Or when I'm at the park with the kids, I don't look, I don't like scream over to the other side of the dads. And I'm like, hey, dad, so, so grateful for our fellowship by the swings today. It's just not a part of my everyday life, right? When I talk about it. It's not a part of my everyday life. Honestly, the only real consistent exposure I had to fellowship growing up probably came from Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Ring. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Anyone read the books or watch the movies? Yes? They're incredible. Anyway, I know that the young adult group is watching them this summer. It's so good. But these movies pretty much cemented my understanding of what fellowship meant. And my assumption was this, that it was a group of people, some friends, some strangers, some family, some hobbits and elves and all sorts of other characters that, that form uh, from all sorts of backgrounds that might not normally connect. It's these people, a, divide, a diverse group of people committing to one another because of a common mission or vision for the future. Now, in the movie, it was a fellowship of the ring where this community of difference formed and all rallied around the shared purpose of destroying this, this ring held by Frodo by throwing it into like a volcano to prevent, who's the enemy? Sauron, I know you know this, this is good, from uh, destroying the known world. Noble vision, here we go, to align oneself with a fellowship worth joining here. The vision was there. 
implications of paramount importance. The expectations were given and culture established. The goal, do whatever it takes to destroy the ring. And, um, and over the course of the series of books and movies, you, you see this fellowship slowly begin to change from being a group of loosely connected strangers bound by objectives to be an intimate, extended family of humble sacrifice united by common mission. Thus, fellowship of the ring. And that really was the extent to my understanding of this word, fellowship, until this randomly fateful day uh, in 2010. Let me explain. I was uh, at the time working as a worship pastor in Northeast Minneapolis, this really incredible inner city church plant. Um, and at the point in my life, I had grown up in the church and I knew the stories, I knew the language, I could crush anyone in Bible Jeopardy, which by the way, we should probably set up at some point. Pastor Jeff, can we set up a Bible Jeopardy game? I'm, I'm gonna bring it, okay? But anyway, I, I knew the right things to say. Um, but I was still on a journey of faith for my own, if that makes sense. And so one day I was spending some time at a coffee shop, uh, reading the scriptures, when I hit a passage just after the Gospels in the book of Acts, chapter 2. And I was just kind of cruising along. I was sipping my coffee, you know, like taking notes, doing my underlines, when all of a sudden I just like, it hit me. And I was like, wait a second, did I just read what I think I read? And I kept going and I went back and I was like, is this, what did I just read? And it was right there, right after, right before verse 42, it was this phrase. It said, the fellowship of the believers. And what followed in this, in this passage, what followed after this, it absolutely changed my life as I saw, maybe for the first time, a description for how a church in the first century formed a fellowship. And this word in the Greek is koinonia, and it actually, it means communion, Communion or partnership with a close bond and a common mission. Koinonia. And it was this church, they formed a koinonia in response to the good news they received of Christ and the mission of his kingdom of God. And so this is the text in Acts 2, and maybe you've heard this before, but it starts in verse 42 as it describes this fellowship of believers. The fellowship. It says this. It says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over all of them, over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. Another translation says, they had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions and shared their money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while, verse 47, praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Brilliant, right? Such a beautiful moment we see in the scriptures, a moment that left me thinking, if I'm going to do this Jesus thing, if I'm going to commit my life to the reign and rule of God on earth and submit to Jesus as king from here to heaven, then this is the community that I want to be a part of. I, I don't want to be a church person. I want to be church people. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to run this race alone. 
No, I want to find myself a fellowship to belong to, a koinonia, where, verse 42, where the believers were devoted to being people of good news. And not just as individuals, but as a community of difference, and not just as a moral, social club, but as a movement of faith where all the pieces fit together to fulfill an end greater than the sum of its parts. This was the dream, verse 42, a community devoted to Jesus in his way. I'm going to keep it going. A community that shared meals and prayed together. A community that witnessed the incredible power of God through the Holy Spirit in miraculous ways. A community that, had, that chose to be together and shared everything they had. And even beyond sharing, they were willing to sacrifice their own stuff sacrifice to generously meet the needs of those around them. They worship together. They practice communion together. They praise God together, this fellowship of believers, this fellowship of good news seen in Acts chapter two. And what's so cool in the text, and I know this probably is maybe, I don't know if you've read this or not, but this text is in response to their devotion. In response to this way, it says they enjoyed the goodwill and favor of all people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship. Crazy, right? A fellowship of good news that was actually good news to the world around them. Wow, a family of faith transformed by the gospel, actually transforming the culture with uh, the better way of Christ. And again, back to 2010, my inspired, enthusiast heart and mind I was just like, I don't care what it costs. This is it. I have found the silver bullet for what it means to be the church. I figured it out. I don't know why no one else got this before me, but I figured it out. I know what we need to do as a church, and I let everyone know, okay? I was like, we got to sell our stuff. We got to buy some apartment complex in the middle of the city where we can all live together, and we'll just sit and pray and worship with homeless people, and we'll eat together, and we'll have all this fun, and, and, and we ask God to heal people and expect miracles. This is it. In my brain, I was like, anything less, anything else is, is just compromise. This is where I was. And even though there's some noble, good intentions here, I was so rigidly fixated on the specifics of what this church did that instead of seeing what they saw, the goodwill of all people, I inadvertently started to alienate and push people away. Even with the best of intentions, my dream fellowship turned out to be me going solo on this idea. And some of you might have experienced this at some point in your life, you know, where God meets you in a moment and speaks to you in such a profound way. And it's just like everything changed and you get so laser focused on it that you, that you really start to tune out what God is actually saying now. You become so focused on what God said before that you, that you stop listening to what he's saying now. Hmm. That was me back in 2010 after reading Acts 2, and it forced me. I remember sitting down. My pastor at the time was just like, hey, David, listen, this is really, I'm great. I'm glad you're passionate about this, but, but you really need to understand what was happening. And so it's in that moment I went back again and again to really dig in to what made this fellowship so special in Acts 2. And what I found as I started studying what God has to say about his church is that within a true fellowship of believers, there, is, there are very few prescriptions. Let me explain what that means. Meaning to be the church that God expects us to be, there is not an extensive laundry list of details and rules to follow. Now, 
There are very few prescriptions, but instead there are a number of key observable distinctions. A fellowship of good news is not prescriptive, it's distinctive. And that's because this life of faith of following Jesus, it's not about fitting into a mold or checking boxes of, of, of completion. It's not about everyone looking the same, but rather it's everyone choosing to settle into this new holistic way of living. It's not looking the same as each other. It's looking like Jesus together. It's not about paint color. It's not about song selection. It's not about how you take communion or how many people call it home. It's all about Jesus and how God is leading us to distinctively look like him and reflect his goodness out into the world together. It's a whole life shift in priorities, vision, mission, values, and commitment. And, and that more than anything else is what we see in Acts chapter 2. This passage isn't a recipe to follow, but a heartbeat to echo. It's not a recipe to follow, but it's a way to follow. It's an observable community of believers reflecting the realities of Christ. And this is what God says it means to be a fellowship, to be a church people. It means an observable community of believers reflecting the reality of Christ. Man, that is some good news, right? That is some good news. Okay, okay, how does this play out practically? Because there are a lot of really beautiful things that Jesus revealed. There's a lot of amazing teachings and priorities that God put in place throughout his life. So, so where, where do we start? Where do we start? Well, there are four, I would say, four key distinctions that we see in the text supported in our opening scripture from Colossians chapter 3. Four things that I believe are essential for any of us following Jesus together and in turn must be found in this community. So if you're taking notes, write these down. They're on the screen. The four things we see in Acts chapter 2 and supported with Colossians chapter 3 is that they were unapologetically devoted to the good news. Second, they were selflessly committed to community. Third, they were sacrificially defined by generosity and they were fourth, passionately faithful in worship. One more time, they were devoted to the good news. They were committed to community. They were defined by generosity, and they were faithful in worship. Four distinctions present in the early church that must be seen in us, starting with the first, devoted to good news. For this fellowship of believers in the first century, everything in them was a devoted response to the good news of Jesus. And what I mean by that is everything they did flowed from their understanding of who Jesus is as king of all creation. We learned about this last week. There were no compartments to hold their former passions, and there were no secondary allegiances or, or divided loyalties in them. For them, it was always only Jesus and his kingdom and his vision for the world. And it formed in them a brand new way to live and a new priority for what it means to be together. Verse 42 says that all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching or to the gospel. Colossians 3 expands on this distinction saying in verse 16, he says, let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the, uh, with all the wisdom 
he gives. The gospel was the message. The good news that Jesus is king and reigns supreme over all creation from here to heaven. This was their reason for existing. And everything that followed was built on that foundation, that devotion to Jesus. It didn't matter where they were from. Bringing it back around to Lord of the Rings, it didn't matter where they came from or how much money they had. It didn't matter what they did, what they knew, or what they didn't. This church was a fellowship of difference coming together under a common banner, working toward a common mission, and that had to come first. It has to come first. If we want to be a people of fellowship, friends, I know you do. That's why you're here on a holiday weekend. If you want to be a people of fellowship, then we must be a church devoted to the good news. But what does that look like again for us today? I would say it absolutely includes showing up for church, even on holiday weekends. Good for you. It it includes reading your Bible. It includes doing Bible studies. I know people showed up early for Sunday school today. Um, But more than anything, I would say devotion essentially means letting, this is verse 16 again, letting the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. This is what it means to be devoted. It's allowing the good news about Jesus to transform you and your life from the inside out. It's to sit and meditate on the realities of Christ. I hear Manny, Pastor Manny talking about this all the time. To just sit in God's presence and let God meet you where you are. To sit and to meditate on who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Or like we talked about last week, it's, it's to repent from the bad, from the bad and return to the good. It's to let the realities of God fill you in all its richness. And this is how we kind of get out of our own way and commit to the message of Christ. We must be devoted to his good news. We must be devoted to the good news. That comes first. Now, second, building on that, it says that we must be committed to community. God knows our tendency to go it alone. God knows how self-involved we can be as we pursue the things we believe will satisfy us, right? God knows how prone we are to make excuses and, and, and like create compromise and excuses for, for falling away, which is why it's so vital and why it was present here that we'd be committed to community because we're so much better together. We're so much better. We're so much more faithful as a fellowship on common mission. Colossians chapter 3 says it like this. Uh, He says that we are not holy persons, but we are holy people that God loves. We were designed to do this church thing together as a family. As a family. But I tell you what, sometimes being family can be hard. Sometimes being family can be tough. We have different generations. I've been talking with people out in the courtyard today. Different generations, different expectations, different priorities, different preferences, practices. There are times where it can be really challenging to want to commit to a community that feels different. I mean, think about this past year again with all the division. There were, there were some like seriously borderline heretical prescriptive expectations that some church leaders placed on fellowships for how to vote or how to march or how to tweet or how to act. 
it was a hard year. And so I think that there's a number of people that are saying, why would I want to commit to something? Why would I want to commit? And yet this is still the expectation. So what does it look like for us? Even in a season like we just had to commit to one another as believers, what does it take? This is so beautiful from Colossians 3. I read at the very beginning of the service. And if there's one thing to really take away and remember, let this section be it. Colossians 3 says this, since God chose you to be the holy people, the koinonia he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Let's say that one more time. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. It feels very different than what we see in culture today. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony, and let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, one fellowship, one church, one koinonia, you are called to live in peace. And always be thankful. This is a commitment to being a community. Because of the good news, because the Lord loves us and forgave us, we must clothe ourselves in mercy. We must clothe ourselves in mercy. We must practice kindness and humility, gentleness and patience. We need to create space in our hearts for when others might fail us or let us down. Honestly, we need to anticipate it, friends. Because it's going to happen, and when it does, we need to be ready to see beyond the frustrations we experience. We need to be ready. I remember when Rebecca and I first got married, like any new relationship, we were, you know, there were some moments of, of you know, some tension every once in a while. And, and we were trying to figure out how to be a family, and that's it. We were trying to figure out how to be a family and there was miscommunication sometimes and unmet expectations sometimes. But I remember, I remember sitting down and deciding together how we would choose to make allowances for each other's faults. We decided, I remember sitting down with you in our like little duplex in Northeast Minneapolis and we were like, how do we, how do we do this thing? And we just decided that we were gonna, rem- uh, we were gonna remember that being frustrated is a decision. It's up to you if you're frustrated. And we were so committed to being married forever and that so we had this choice to either hold on to the other's accidental infractions or or we could clothe ourselves in tender-hearted mercy for one another. That's a decision that we get to make. We don't always it's not always a decision what you receive but it's a decision how you respond to it. And so we could choose to assume the worst or we could see the moment through the lens of Christ that is a family committed to the future together. And friends, that's exactly what God wants for his koinonia, for his church, for his fellowship. It's a mutual submission to one another, knowing that this is a family, that this is a home. It's a fellowship that sees beyond frustrations so we can go and do together what we could never do on our own. Hmm. Now, one thing I think that really helped this early church um, establish the family and establish this koinonia connection is that they were devoted to sharing in meals to one another, with one another. 
And, and listen, I know historically this church has been an eating church, okay? One of the draws that actually brought us here was that I was promised potlucks, okay? But then, but then we were here a couple months and we only got one potluck in before COVID disrupted everything and we had to fend for ourselves. I just want to be real though, we took Manny's recommendations on a lot of food and we door dashed like the whole year. But anyway... But food draws people together, and I need you to know that's going to change because something happens when we eat together. Something special happens. Walls come down when we sit across from one another and remember that we're all on this mission together. Forgiveness flows and understanding grows over a good meal. Community builds and connection forms at the table, especially when Ryan Frost is smoking meats. I just got to say it, okay? Things change when we sit at a common seat, which is why we finally put a family meal on the calendar, just so you know, here at the church. And I hope you can all make it. It's going to be August 1st, Sunday after church. We're going to do a good old family potluck down in the fellowship hall. You like that? The fellowship hall. And there's more details to follow, but mark your calendars because we need you to be there. It's going to be amazing. Because before to be a people of fellowship, then we uh, must be committed to the community. We must be committed to fellowship and to sharing meals. And that's the second step, brings us together, which leans us, uh, brings us up to number three. And I'm going to make this quick. I know we're, we're getting there. Uh, just like the early church, we must be a community defined by generosity. We must be a community defined by generosity. In Acts, it says, and this is actually the part that captured my heart so many years ago, sipping coffee, and I was like, no way. What did they do? It says, it says that all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. You got a lawnmower? I got a lawnmower. I got a truck. Now you have a truck. They got together and they shared everything they had. Verse 45, it says they sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They shared their meals with great and joy and generosity. These folks were devoted to the good news. They were committed to community and were defined by sacrificial generosity. Their whole philosophy of life was built uh, around being together and living as a community. And, and, and I know that things have changed. I know that things have changed from the first century Middle East to what is without a doubt the most individualistic and consumeristic society in the history of humanity, that is 21st century Western world. Things are different over the past 2,000 years, and I know this might sound unrealistic, I do, but, but remember this isn't about a prescriptive, uh, a recipe to follow as much as a distinctive heart posture, Okay. So when we talk about generosity, it's not that God is telling us all to sell our stuff and move to the desert and like build a commune until Jesus comes back. That's not the idea. It's not that God is telling us to sell our stuff. It's just that while we're here waiting for Jesus to return, that we would respond generously like Jesus did. It's living with open hands with our stuff because we all know that what we have is God's anyway. This is what God wants from us. It's not that we would get rid of our phones or our cars or our houses, but instead we would use them like he would. That we would steward our money and our resources like he would. That we would live with open eyes to the needs of others, the needs of our church, and cheerfully and willingly, generously meet the needs just like he would. And yes, 
as we devote ourselves to Jesus, and yes, as we embrace his way of life and his priorities, yeah, that, that does put some limitations on what we spend money on. And it also puts some limitations on how we acquire money. But this is what sets us apart in the world. This is what makes us his holy people that he loves. Our treasures aren't here and now. Our inheritance is in heaven. So let us be a people of generosity. Let us steward what we've been given well. And this brings us up to our final distinction that we see in the early church. Who's excited for the final one? I know you are. You ready? Here we go. It says that they were passionately faithful in worship. They were faithful in worship. Acts 2 says that they worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and prayed together and witnessed miracles together. This is why starting next week, we're having church every day of the week. I'm kidding. Okay. Some of you were getting real stressed. No, but it says that they, they worship together each day, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all people. It's because their devotion to Jesus, their devotion to Jesus, because of what they believed to be true, they were faithful in worship. And this was the expectation of their fellowship. And, and notice, I just want you to notice in this passage, there wasn't an approved list of hymns. There wasn't. There also wasn't instructions on what instruments could be used, okay? There wasn't a mandate that it always had to be at the temple or at home or what the sanctuary need to look like. There wasn't a recipe to follow for worship, but rather a description for what worship can be. Colossians 3 really hits this home for faithful worship in verse 16 when it says, Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So yes, as a people of fellowship, as a people of worship, we sing. Amen. As a people of worship, we pray. Amen. As a people of worship, we take communion and we rely on the spirit of God to move. Amen. This is all worship. But so is, according to Colossians 3, but so is anything we say or do as a representative of the Lord Jesus. Anything we do for the glory of God and the good of others, uh, Paul in Colossians says that this is our worship to God. And what's expected from us as church people, that we would, yes, all choose to devote our lives to a common mission. That, we would, that the good news of Christ in all its fullness would settle in our hearts and we would set aside our dif their differences. We would, we would assume the best that we would commit to community to form a family of generosity and worship. This is what we see, a people of fellowship in Jesus' name, willing to lay everything down on the altar before him. This is what it means to be a people of fellowship, a koinonia, church people. And this is what God wants his church to look like. Not to pretend that we're anyone other than who we are. Not to pretend to be the early church in Acts 2, imitating all the stuff they did in response to the gospel, but rather to learn from them and, 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 and be inspired by them and celebrate how God used them so we might be a more faithful, devoted, committed, and sacrificial fellowship. So we might be more devoted, committed, sacrificial, and faithful as a church. 
So, okay, bring it all back around for a few declarations in the house. And if you agree, after I'm finished, I just need you to say, amen. Let us be a church. Oh, yeah, hold on a second, hold on. I had the pause. The pause was too long. It'll be obvious next time. Declaration number one. Let us be a church first and foremost devoted to the good news, to being a people that place Christ in his proper place and allow his leadership to inspire every move we make. Amen. Number two, let us be a family committed to the community of believers, a people that choose to see the best in the other and encourage one another into greater faith and obedience, knowing that this family, that this family really is forever from here to heaven. Amen. This feels good. All right, I got two more. I hope you're, you're warming up. I know you're warming up. Here we go. Let us be a community defined by generosity who choose to see their stuff as just resources for propelling a mission forward, a people who willingly walk with open eyes and hands to the needs of others. Here we go. Amen. I got one more for you. This was really good. Who was that? Was that you, Tony? Come on. Join the choir. Let's go. And this is our last distinction right here, our last declaration for the house. Let us be a fellowship of faithful worship that sees every moment as an opportunity to declare the glory of God, a people who put words and melody, decision and rhythm to the greatness of God so all might come to know and believe and be saved. Amen. 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 There it is. Okay, this is, this is there it is. I feel good. This was nice. This is, this is the way of Jesus and what it means to be the church, a people of fellowship. It's devotion, it's commitment, it's sacrifice and worship. It's good news and community and generosity and faithfulness. This is what it means to be a fellowship of believers. And so as we close today, you know, the team is going to come up and lead us in a time of response through communion, koinonia again and through singing, through worship. But as they do, I would say more than any other detail or point or scripture even in the, in the message today, what I want you to walk away with today is simply this, that God, the only God of all creation who revealed himself through Jesus Christ, God wants you to find a home. God wants you to find a fellowship of believers. God doesn't want you to feel like an outsider wherever you go. He doesn't want you to feel like a visitor or someone just passing through. No, God wants you to see yourself as family within his church, whether it's here or whether it's somewhere else. God wants you to call it home. He wants you to find connection and investment, friendship and camaraderie within his fellowship of believers. I once heard it said that you can't be a Christian on your own. You can't be a Christian on your own because to follow Jesus requires pursuit in community. So my prayer for you today is this. It's now that you got a bit of context for fellowship and what God wants. My prayer for you is that you begin to see yourself as yourselves together. That regardless of how you arrive today, no matter what you came from, 
no matter what you need or what you can give. It's my prayer that you'd leave here today together, together, a fellowship of believers. And I want to pray to that end even now as, as we're about to come forward to receive communion. And if you've been around for the past couple of weeks, you knew that we kind of shake things up from communion time to time. And so we've got these little communion stations. If you don't want to come forward, otherwise, what we are encouraging people to do is, is you come down the outside aisles, come forward, receive your communion, and then you can take the center aisle back to your seat. If you don't want to come up, you can grab communion from the stations scattered throughout the room. Um, but I really want to encourage you in this moment to really begin to see this place and each other with a fresh set of eyes. It's my dream that everyone here would call this home and tell heaven and that we would be a people of invitation that's always welcoming people back in, welcoming them as family, regardless of where they come from. It's my dream that we would be a people that, that, that are defined and devoted to the good news, that we are committed to one another as a community that we're so ridiculously generous that the world looks at us and says, how in the world, why in the world would they ever care so much about each other? And a church that doesn't just settle in our head knowledge, but really commits all we are to, to knowing God and being known by him in worship. This is the dream. Like this is, this is my dream when I, when I pray for you. It's that we would be a fellowship, that we wouldn't just be a, a social club, that we wouldn't rest on the successes of our past that we wouldn't look longingly back for the better day, but that we would choose to believe that starting here and now, the best is yet to come. Amen. Good news, community, generosity, and worship. Let this be our hearts cry. I love you. Let's pray. Let's pray. Jesus, we are grateful for today. God, we're so grateful that, that your church the expectation for your church isn't that we'd be a bunch of clones, God, but that we would be united as one with common mission, common vision. God, that we wouldn't be all the same, but that we would commit to be the same like you. So God, we ask that you just open our eyes again to the good news that is your lordship and kingship over all creation. God, help us receive the gospel again today the gospel that saves us, but also the gospel that, that gives us purpose and mission and community and focus. God, give, let the gospel just penetrate our hearts again that we might leave here different and changed. And God, I just, I just want, I, I, I'm really hoping that you can lay heavy on the hearts of this koinonia today, of this community, of this fellowship to just challenge them to, to, to call this place home again and see each other as brothers and sisters within your family. God, that we might be stripped of pride, God, that we might lay everything down before you, that we people of generosity and worship, that we might come together, friends and strangers and extended family, all in your name, with your mission, under your banner. And so, Jesus, we love you, and it's such a gift to be your people. It's such a gift to be your church. It's such a gift to be your fellowship of believers. So, God, we thank you for today, that we could come and hear from you, that we could worship and be generous, God, that we could hang out as a community and, again, be reminded of the good news that is you. 
So Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. It's in your name that we, that we gather and commune together through, through the Lord's table today. It's in your name that we pray and we all said, amen. So the band is gonna lead us. And as you feel ready to come down to receive communion,